gods and half-bloods, welcome in to Comic Book Nation's Riptide Radio, your Percy Jackson after show. And today we are talking all things We Take a Zebra to Vegas. We're at episode six, Nicole, episode six of this series. We're moving right along to get that Master Bolt and resolve this quest, hopefully before the Summer Solstice deadline. We'll talk about that later in the show. I am your host, Liam Crowley, and I'm joined alongside, as always, by Miss Nicole Drum. Nicole, your go-to casino or arcade game. What's your best and what's oh. your worst? Okay, okay. Um, for casino games, I'm weirdly good at blackjack. Like, take me to a casino, let me play blackjack. I'm weirdly good at it. I'm horrifically bad at everything else. But if it's an arcade game, I'm Galaga all the way. It's the only thing I'm going to play. And I'm going to kick your butt doing it. And I will lose days playing Galaga. Blackjack. I see what you did there. Timely reference. Um, I have never been to a casino. I've, I've seen comedy shows at a casino. I saw John Mulaney at uh, Foxwoods in Connecticut in 2018. But I didn't play any games. Uh, and I have been to arcades many a times. I'm best at that ball drop game. That, that bouncy ball goes around, try and land in the jackpot. Uh, I've hit jackpot many a times in Newport, Rhode Island. But my worst game is the one, the, the light that goes around the circle, and you have to try and stop it. Oh, on the yeah. Those those dumb games are rigged. Like, let's be honest. Like, when, when there's a light <laughs> involved and they can just mimic that, mm, there's it, it frustrates me every time, and I never win jackpot. Uh, and something that never wins jackpot uh, in the Lotus Casino is Percy, Annabeth, and Grover, because they get themselves trapped here in the Lotus yep. Casino in this episode, as we all expected. This is one of the most anticipated episodes of this season, because it has been done in so many different mediums, in books, in graphic novels, even in the feature film. But before we get into dissecting every little intricacy of this episode, Nicole, what were your overall impressions of Percy Jackson episode six? You know, I liked the episode. I thought it was interesting. There were some key highlights for me, and we'll talk about some of those. Like, I just have to give this movie, prop, other movie, the show props for its music budget. And again, we will talk about that because I just keep getting surprised by the songs they use. But realistically, I felt like this episode, there was just not as much, I mean, there was forward motion in terms of getting us to where we need to go, but it was just a chill episode. I, I, I wish we could have had a little bit more action maybe, but I did enjoy some of the development. It was, a, it was a nice change of pace from last week's episode, I felt like. I'm going to say it. I think this is the weakest episode of the season so far. I tend to agree. That's not to say it was bad by any means, but compared to the other episodes, I found myself a lot more engaged. And that's a little to do with the runtime. That's a little to do with the action or lack thereof. That's a little to do with just the lack of stuff going on. Like we're in the Lotus Casino and it feels like we're just kind of in one room the whole time. I didn't feel like we got to flesh out this world, uh, this world, this sector of this larger world as much as I would have liked to. And a lot of that boils down to the fact that this particular scene is something that has been done, as I said at the top, in so many different mediums. The luxury of St. Louis and the luxury of everything done with Aries is that this is like the first time we've gotten to see it in live action. And I know, I know no one wants to talk about the movies, but the Lotus Casino of the 2010 feature film led by Logan Lerman is the sole good moments in that movie. People love it for good reason too. I think it has fabulous execution and there's just a sense of tension and a sense of like aura that goes on in the movie adaptation of the Lotus Casino that I felt like was missing in this episode and i think a big reason for that nicole is they don't establish the rules of the lotus casino until they figure out what's going on in the show right from the jump as soon as they enter in they give that example about how the odyssey and odysseus getting trapped on that island because there were sailors there and the sailors ate the lotus flowers and all that kind of stuff they explain the rules right at the start so going in there's like not that much mystery and intrigue and all that and that decision to me I understand why they did it, but at the same time, I was like, I wish we kind of pulled back. Because even though we know how this world works and we know the rules and regulations, it is fun to kind of suspend your disbelief and not be told things right off the jump. And that's something we've we've praised the show for doing for the first five episodes is that it shows and not tells. This episode, I thought they told more than they showed. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously they were cutting it to like, you know, expedite things. But I feel like this is one of those things by cutting it, they also cut some of what makes this part of the story critical like they cut the danger because there's danger here and by saying oh we know already know everything so let's just go in and do this it lowered the stakes and so when things develop in the episode and we know that you know as we watch the episode they do lose time it's one of those things where it doesn't feel quite as impactful 
as it does when they, because it's like, we already know what's going to happen going into it. And it just felt like it had a little bit less impact that way, even though that did open the door for some, a little bit more character development in a sense. I don't know. It was a weird trade-off that I feel like the show hasn't really done before. Absolutely. And I know a lot of people are going to have the side-by-side between the movie and the show because of the two live action ways yeah. we've seen this, this uh, episode, this, this, this story, this chapter. Um, but it's different in every interpretation they've done it. And there's there's four mm-hmm. total. I got them right here. We got the book, we got the movie, and we have the graphic novel. Let's start with the book and everything that goes down in the book and how that's different from the show. Uh, there's a large neon flower exterior design, and the Lotus Casino workers immediately get the trio a Lotus cash card, not Lotus flowers, the little like swipe card, the same one that you use at an arcade essentially, and tells them their room number. They are actually guests at this casino. They are guests at the hotel. They check out into their hotel room. It has a view of the Las Vegas Strip, uh, and they have perfectly fitting clothes in their closet, showing that they were expected to be here long before they eventually arrived in Vegas. Uh, There's a montage of Percy, Grover, and Annabeth playing games, which does actually include a VR laser tag game, so kind of similar to what happened with Grover later in the episode and how he gets kind of sucked into a VR game. Um, The words groovy and sick make Percy suspect that something is up, and that's kind of what breaks the trance, essentially. Uh, He confronts someone named Darren, who says the year is 1977. And here's something for you, Nicole. That means that 28 years has passed in the two weeks that he says he has been there. And if you do that math, it comes out to about 730 hours per 24 human hours, or about 30-ish hours per human hour, or essentially 30 minutes every human minute. So at the very end, when they say that they spent five days in the Lotus Casino, that's the equivalent of, a, of about four hours on the inside, which I thought was interesting that there is a little bit of synergy when it comes down to mm-hmm. establishing the math for how time elapses. Right. In this, you know, There is even resistance from Annabeth, even after being told what happened in the Lotus Casino. Percy wants to pull her away. She wants to stay, which is very different from how the movie does it, how the graphic novel does it, uh, from how the show does it. She kind of knows the rules and regulations from the start. She's leading them as opposed to being a pawn in the Lotus Eater scheme. Uh, Grover is indeed playing a VR game, like I said, off the top. uh, And they're able to escape without the employees really trying to stop them. They're just like, oh, well, uh, come on, you should stay. Do you need more bucks on your Lotus card and all that? And they say, no, we're good and they leave without a hitch. The graphic novel, much shorter. The the book is about eight pages we spend in the Lotus Casino. The chapter as a whole is about 26, but only eight pages of that is dedicated to the casino itself. In the graphic novel, they get caught by the truck driver and scurry off. They don't free the animals. Uh, And the graphic novel is intending to take them all the way to Los Angeles. They're not trying to make a pit stop in Vegas uh, whatsoever. They go into the Lotus Casino where they're greeted by an employee. Annabeth tries to correct and say that they are not staying, but Percy says, let's play along with it. Annabeth has a bad feeling. Percy and Grover want to play. They go along with it instead. Uh, People around are eating lotus flowers, but there is no explicit mention of lotus flowers instigating a trance, just like in the book, too. There's no specific mention of the lotus flowers uh, being something that keeps people involved in this casino. Uh, There is a montage which includes a cucumber spa, which is something that happens in the movie. Percy snaps out of it when he plays a game called Rescue Mom and reminds him of his actual mission in the exterior world, which is to save his mom. Summer Solstice Deadline, all that good stuff. Uh, Annabeth and Grover are also parked at arcade games tailored to them. Annabeth is playing a game called Urban Planning. Grover is playing a game called Polluter Shooter. Percy pulls them away. They flock outside. Minimal effort from the employees to get them to stay. They offer to upgrade their rooms. Percy and company, they say, no thanks. They exit to the outside world. It's been days, one day, until the Summer Solstice, just like in the book. They are on June 20th. In the movie, the Lotus Casino blends more into Las Vegas. It's not as like greek within the 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 world it feels like it's part of our real world there's a little bit more realism there uh the lotus worker casinos uh the lotus casino workers excuse me they insist on having the trio stay they offer them a complimentary phone book and then they offer them the lotus flower and when they eat the lotus flower that's when poker face by lady gaga starts to play uh the lotus kind of trance kicks in they're stuck in this hallucination and all that uh eventually Uh, There's a montage as opposed to extended scenes of them interacting with the Lotus Casino. Uh, Poseidon is the one who speaks to Percy in his head and warns him not to eat the flower. There's a realization uh, of what is going on with the trance when Percy talks to someone from 1971. He wakes up Annabeth and Grover. Employees make an actual effort to get them to stay uh, physically. Uh, They grab the pearl, which is, again, a very different mission in the movie of trying to grab Persephone's pearls in order to further their quest and all that. They steal a show car to escape. They drive through glass doors and onto the Las Vegas Strip. 
They realize that was the lair of the Lotus Eaters after the fact, after everything has happened. And then they are struck with the realization that once again, there's one day to go until the summer solstice. And everyone just saw Percy Jackson episode six. You don't need me to regurgitate how the show did it differently. But the biggest difference is, Nicole, when we leave the Lotus Casino, the summer solstice has already passed. Yep. They've missed their deadline. Nicole, I That's know you want to talk. That's a huge change. Huge change. Uh, Nicole, before we get into the nitty gritty of Hermes and all that, I know you want to talk about the music. And that's something yes. everyone was waiting for. Everyone yes. Was like, Are they going to pay homage? Are they going to do Poker Face by Lady Gaga? No. We got No, they do not. No. Nope. Yes, we got some Dua Lipa instead. And again, this show's music budget like has to be insane because they keep getting great needle drops. But I have a very unpop, what I think is going to be an unpopular opinion here. And just, just a little temperature check, seeing how badly people wanted poker face. I know I'm going to be in a minority here. I think the use of levitating is the better choice. I really, really do. I know Rick Riordan has said that he does not want like ties, callbacks, connections between the movie and the TV show. And understandably so we can respect that. He said Um, today on threads normalize bad movie erasure yes so, yes like, not, i saw it I, anymore he explicitly is like he, he no. made it very clear and i can respect that i absolutely can respect that um but what i think is really cool about and don't get me wrong i love me some poker face like i think it was the perfect song for that scene in the movie at the perfect time it completely is just the best choice of it but at the same token, I think the use of levitating is perfect for its timing in this episode because there's it's kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge situation when you think about the fact that they're going into Hermes's like Hermes's house and the shoes. What do the shoes do? They levitate. It is such a funny little if you really think about it, it's like, oh, I see what you did there. And come on, that song is a jam. It's it's beautiful. And I mean, for people who like hear in color like I do, that song just fits the vibe of that whole opening scene when they walk in. And I'm just like, okay, this this looks very different than what I thought it was going to look like, but I feel it and I'm here for it. I just wish the rest of the episode had kept the vibe, but I think that was a perfect choice. And I like the way it kind of resets the expectation. Some of us who really liked the casino scene from the movie have carrying into this. It's a good way to like break from that and refresh and it's just a funny little hmm, Hermes levitating wings flying. I see what you did there. I completely agree that lyrically it is a more appropriate song. Poker Face, like within the context, really has nothing to do lyrically with what is happening. I just think that the instrumental of that song, people get hooked on it for a good reason. They're like, oh yeah, mama and all that. Like the way they slowly build into it, and they they change it a little bit uh, for the movie. It works in a way that's like. It's just good. There's there's no yeah. artistic merit to it. It's just like it makes you feel happy. And and that's the yeah. goal at the end of the day of those lotus flowers is to kind of put the yeah. viewer in that trance. Well, it's also like if you think of it this way, like the in the movie, it's more of a nightclub kind of setting. Like there's the lighting, the feel, the vibe, the pushing of the lotus flowers, everything that's going on, the clothing. In the show, it's a little bit lighter and brighter and almost a little more casual. I mean, we see Hermes, he's looking, he's wearing like, what, a hoodie? Like, things are a little bit more casual. The Dua Lipa song is lighter. It's brighter. It's a little more casual. It's obviously, it was huge on TikTok. It's a little more TikTok-y. It's, the tones are different. They fit the scenes differently. They fit, they fit the media appropriately. And I thought that was very interesting to way to update that because the vibes are very, very different and the music definitely reflects that. Absolutely. And another thing, too, that I think a lot of people who are going to push back against this episode because of the nostalgia blinders that, that come with the 2010 movie, we, we have to be like, I understand everyone wants, again, Rick himself is like bad movie erasure. I get it. But to me, the 2010 movie, I hate Sea of Monsters. Sea of Monsters is a trash movie. Uh, it, it's got a complete insult to the source material. I don't think that that movie has a single scene in it that I'm like, okay, at least we got that. Like the Lightning Thief has an entire first act that I like, the Lotus Casino scene, which I like, and a little other moments here and there that I'm like, okay, they're somewhat redeemable. And I don't think we should just be like, forget the Lotus Casino scene in the movie completely. I think we should honor it and respect it. And I understand if this show wants to do its own thing and not tie itself to it whatsoever. And I was never going to call for that Lady Gaga uh, montage. But also another thing we have to consider, this show 
for as much uh, as people like us who grew up with these books want to dissect it in a time where we're both in our adult years now, the the show is made for kids. And yeah. when I go back and rewatch the 2010 Lightning Thief uh, and, and see the Lotus Casino scene, there's a significant amount of like LSD undertones mm-hmm. with, with, the Lotus, with the Lotus Flowers. Like yep. that's probably not something that you want to like recycle for a younger audience, especially when we're having them be like significantly younger. I think the, mm-hmm. the goal of the movie was to have Percy around like 16 and the Great Prophecy happens around his 18th or 21st birthday. 12-year-old kids should not be eating these lotus flowers and then being put in a position of like, oh, we're in like a hallucinogen trance. Like the way that that poker face even kicks in in the movie is like, it feels like you're at a nightclub and everything mm-hmm. around you goes blurry. They even have that that moment in, in, the, in, the, in the movie itself where like the camera's focused on Percy and around him, everything's kind of like, yep. like blurry and, and, and lucid and all that. And it's like, I understand that the show wants to be like, let's not do the allegory for it being like we're trapped in a nightclub because we have an unlimited tab and the greek gods decided it's an open bar like let's not do that so i completely understand there at the same time though i will say what i'm sure is going to be somewhat of a contentious opinion i think the movie did it better i think the movie oh oh and that's not to say i didn't like what they did in the show but when i revisit the lotus casino scene which one do i flock to first i feel like because the movie had the luxury of doing it with a feature film budget and having those montage uh, moments uh, and having uh, just certain little cues. Like I felt the danger more. I like, I understand that in the book they leave without like really any contention from the, the Lotus casino employees. I wish we got at least a little push and pull from them of like, we want you to stay. It felt like they were trapped there. Yeah. I agree. I wish we would have had more conflict, um, be it the conflict of the actual being trapped and also just a little bit more struggle. Like, of course, there was struggle in them leaving. Like, I had to think it was hilarious trying to watch Percy trying to drive a car made me so happy. Like, I, it, it kind of, granted, I don't think I was ever that bad of a driver when I was trying to learn to drive. But at the same time, it's like that, that gets you some flashbacks of the first time you're behind the wheel of a vehicle. Um, but, I, I do agree that I wish there had been a little more in terms of conflict and stakes. And I did miss the fight scene. I would have appreciated a fight scene in a casino because I do love a good fight scene in a casino, but I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think the movie did it better. I don't think this is necessarily a better or worse situation. I think it's just a matter of difference and, and <clears throat> the benefit of like the time period change, like what worked a decade ago, actually more than a decade ago at this point, but um, what worked then versus what worked now. And again, the, the, the target ages that we're looking at, I think it's just a matter of difference, neither better nor worse. And I probably honestly, from just an aesthetics per- point of view, prefer the show version. I just, I think that version of the casino looks more rad, but maybe that's also just me being done with my nightclub days. Shout out uh, producer Peter, by the way. I saw that lower third. Let me know in the comments. I understand. This is my one so far, like only like polarizing opinion. And I I feel like free. I I, like I needed to check it off at some point this season. So have you unshackled yourself? If that's the only time that that the the greater Percy Jackson community uh, disagrees with me, so be it. Um, But like you said, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't actually know. I kind of want to amend that. Like, I don't know if it's a matter of better or worse or just a matter of preference, because like you said, in the movie, they actually do have a reason to be there. They're hunting down, again, silly Persephone's pearls, different way of of doing that. Uh, In the book, in the graphic novel, it's like a pit stop, essentially. They don't need to be there. They just kind of stumble in and get trapped and lose time on their quest. In the show, more than the movie, they have a super integral reason to be there. And that is to track down Hermes. That's to not necessarily interrogate him, but get that last bit of passage to the underworld, which the entrance is located in California. Nicole, we mentioned Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's just chilling. He's playing a little craps. He's got a hoodie on. How do you feel about Mr. Alexander Hamilton being the messenger? (sighs) You all know, I love Lin-Manuel Miranda. Like that's not a secret. Um, You know, I, I really liked him. I, I still, I, I liked when we first 
glimpsed him with the box, you know, doing the thing early on. I was like, heck yeah, Hermes. I don't know if I expected him to be quite like this, but I really, and then maybe this is just me being a parent talking when they were having the conversation with him and Annabeth brings up Luke and he talks about like how it's really hard to parent. That might be the most, he may, he struck me as the most human of the gods in that moment. And I really just is like, I don't know how I feel about him as Hermes right now, but I definitely feel him as a dad kind of thing. And I thought it was really cool. I also just really liked how nothing really got past him. He was equal parts smarmy and equal parts trustworthy. And I thought that might've been the most interesting take because all the gods we've met thus far have a little something to them that's unique and different. And I thought this was interesting. Whereas like, you know, Hephaestus was we see him kind of have that emotional moment where he kind of gets it. And then there's Aries who is Aries. And this was just like, yeah, Hermes is a dude. And I just thought that was really cool. And I'm, I'm always, I am always going to be here for Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm just sad that he didn't break into song. <laughs> Me too. That's a really good point. Everyone on, leading up to this, I completely forgot about that until you mentioned that there was a large rumor that this episode was going to be a musical episode. Missed like, opportunity. <clears throat> Arian Samhadri has a background in musical theater. Obviously, Lin-Manuel Miranda has, has toured on Broadway many a times. Yep. I'm shocked. Now, I, that literally, like, I just snapped out of my lotus trance of like, oh my God. <laughs> this was I was waiting the entire time. I'm like, can we just get a couple of bars of Viva Las Vegas or something? Like, an, enough where it's cheap. I don't care. Nothing. I got yeah, nothing. Wow. I was well, disappointed the- in that. At the same time, there's that's not to say that musicals can't have moments of severity uh, when they're in song. I, I've seen it firsthand. I've that's seen true. 80s Town on Broadway, which has plenty of moments oh, God, where yeah. you, you feel it when they're in song. However, like you're saying about Hermes and the father aspect of Hermes and him just kind of being a dude, I felt like that conversation needed to be a conversation in order for us to like feel it. And I really want to talk about that because when he brings them into that like little side uh, like uh, what it, table booth or whatever. And he says, time and space are one thing. Parenting is another. And it's like, let's get into this. And he wants nothing to do with them in terms of helping them get to the underworld until they mention that they're friends of Luke's and the look he gives Nicole, you know, me Hermes and Luke's relationship in Percy Jackson is one of my favorite things mm-hmm. ever done in any fiction medium, film, TV, books, graphic novels, anything. I love their dynamic. I love that we're going to have to wait until season five to hopefully see that scene between Hermes and Luke, the one that they referenced in this episode and the look that Lin-Manuel Miranda gives, the look he he shares as soon as there's a mention of Luke tells a freaking story. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about these guest actors, the, these actors that come in for one episode and play a Chiron and play an Echidna and, and play an Ares. Everyone, Lin-Manuel Miranda meets that gold standard of, listen, you're coming in and you're going to have maybe 20 minutes of screen time. That's, that's generous, honestly. 10, 12 minutes of screen time. And your character is going to be a tiny percentage in the large pie that is Percy Jackson season one. However, you have millennia of history. And do us a favor, sell that with your facial expressions and your like four word sentences. And somehow, some way, they have all managed to do this. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is no exception. The way he just talks about Luke and talks about not wanting to get involved and motions to, to take a sip of the drink when you can tell he's uncomfortable and it's like, oh my God, a God is uncomfortable right now. It's done. There's that humanity. So well, <clears throat> I actually had in my notes when I was watching the episode, check on Liam because in that moment, like when I got to that part of the scene, check on Liam, because there was so much said in his face, in his body language and character. And I'm like, I, I know, I know Liam's going to not miss a beat of this. And you did not disappoint, sir. Well, I'm glad I didn't disappoint. Uh, something that he talks about uh, with Luke is the fact that, you know, they've met, we haven't seen it on screen before. And that is actually something that is reflected in real life because Charlie Bushnell, who plays Luke and Lin-Manuel Miranda, who plays Hermes, still have not yet met, but they have exchanged some pleasant conversations. No, no, still haven't met, but he did He did send me a really nice message after he watched the first two episodes with his family. I think 
he really wanted to come to the the premiere, but I think he was sick. And so I think that's why he couldn't make it. Um, but yeah, he sent me the nicest message um, after he watched the first couple of episodes and just gave me a huge uh, virtual pat on the back and just said how much he's enjoying the show. And and uh, so, yeah, I've been talking to him a bit over text, but um, yeah, definitely excited to, uh, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I hope we, I hope we can get to season five and have that uh we get to have that conversation together because i would love to of course do a scene with lynn and speaking of luke once again just like in episode three we have him in this episode every time hermes has appeared on screen in percy jackson luke has had a scene they just have yet to interact and i think that is such a genius decision and i hope it continues for every season of this show that we get where they're both in the episode but they don't cross paths until we get that flashback, hopefully, in season five. The scene I'm talking about with Luke in Percy Jackson, episode six, is we get the Iris message. Annabeth calls out to, to Luke uh, while they're on that truck. Uh, Kindness International, I want to say, which is a direct pull from the book. When I, I just reread the chapter before we were mm-hmm. recording, same exact pull. And I was like, I love that. Like, again, making this world not only feel fleshed out, but like real to the books. They get that Iris message with Luke. They have a little brief conversation. Uh, and Nicole, I know you know. Again, like we mentioned, we're not we're not telling so much. We're showing mm-hmm. Annabeth and Percy have a conversation, and Luke's like, "Why did y'all become an old married couple?" Married couple. Yes, I was living for that because one of the things, like again, if you know the books, you know where stuff goes, and I love that we're seeing we're seeing this development of them, their friendship, their relationship, how they interact with each other how they how it's not they're not to the point of finishing each other's sentences yet but they have become a functioning unit together in a sense where they can actively disagree like that and just be like no no it's been this long no it was on here this date like no it, we lost time here and like i think that's so interesting that like now people are pointing that out to them and i think it's a way to show the progression of these two people who starting out didn't necessarily even like or tolerate each other that well and how this journey is changing everything around them. And we get a little echo of that even further on, just outside of the Annabeth Percy relationship towards the end of the episode as well, when they they catch up with Grover and he doesn't have his memories, but it's getting his back together with it. It's like when they're to the reason that Annabeth and Percy didn't completely lose their memories is because they had each other to lean on and that they're stronger together. And I think that was an, also an interesting piece of like developing this core relationship, but specifically between Percy and Annabeth things are changing between them as a unit and Luke noticed and he's not even there to see it happening. He's just like, when did this happen? Cause I, I know the two of you like we're like this. Like you can just see the skeptic, even in the Iris message, which isn't like super like high def or anything. You can see a little skeptical on his face. Like when did this happen? Like what? I thought that was just an interesting way to show the progression in a way that's a little more direct than perhaps just watching those two banter. And I thought that was really interesting. And I love how the show is doing that without being like bonk. I just thought that was cool. Yeah, no, that's very valid. And uh, it's something that also happens that in that Iris message, they kind of deduce that Clarice is the lightning thief because who else would Ares protect, which is another deviation from the books because I do not believe uh, Clarice was ever like a suspect or anything. And I think it's a smart deviation because it makes Mm -hmm. A whole lot of sense. Eventually, we get to the end of this episode, which when they get on the outside world, Nicole, we mentioned it uh, when I was going through that long monologue comparing the Lotus Casino uh, moments in different mediums. Every single other time, they have escaped at June 20th, one day before the summer solstice. This time, Hermes was stalling them specifically to let them go after the summer solstice deadline has passed. And we learn that when Percy goes into the water, he talks with the uh, Nereid, water nymph, essentially. Uh, he's expecting to talk to his father. He's expecting to talk to Poseidon. The Nereid tells him, look, he, he waited all that he could, but the summer solstice deadline has passed, and he needs to prepare for war. And Percy has this awesome moment where he's just like, no, no, my quest is not over. I'm not going back to camp. I'm going to go save my mom. And the Nereid gives him the pearls, which another change from the books, because in the books, Percy gets the pearls in the Mississippi River after falling out of the St. Louis Arch. And this moment, Nicole, I get that like, I don't know what you call them. Is it like the opposite of a needle drop? Because it's like the moment cut cut to black credits. 
I don't know if there's I've, a technical term for it. I don't think there's a technical term for it. Maybe, but I don't know. Really but like, I'm I'm talking about like we cut after the dialogue happens, black screen, just cut to black. Yeah. The way that they ended this episode, where she hands him four pearls, and he's like, "There's only three of us. Like, why do we need a fourth pearl?" And she says, "Save the world, then go save your then mom." Go save your mom. <sighs> what? What's go like? Are you ready for episode six? Like, uh, I, I just raised my hands. I know I'm, I'm pit sweating right now. That's because I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, man. I'm freaking out. This is crazy. I yelled, I yelled, let's freaking go. And let's freaking go to the underworld. That's where let's we're heading. Uh, when we, when we get that line and you understand that, you know, Poseidon may not be the best guy, but he also has a little shred of humanity in him. And he wants Percy to save his mom just as much as Percy wants him to save his mom. How are you feeling? It's oh, it speaks to the complexity of the Poseidon relationship with Percy's mom. Like we're getting more pieces of that. And I'm just dying to get more of that because it's very clear like everything we think we know about Poseidon, we may not actually know. And I think that's gonna be very interesting when that fully fleshes out. But what I really like, what got me, and I, it didn't really click with me until I was going back and thinking about it. In the Mississippi River, we talked about, like, I felt like we were watching the origin story or the origin moment for Percy. That speech where he is like, no, we're, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't care if the missions, the quest is, I'm still going because there's something bigger coming. You, you feel the realization, you feel the, the follow, the full development of what started in the Mississippi. And if you think about it, it just feels like every, like what's the, the change started, the change is locked in. And it was like, I, I needed some, like, it's like big orchestral moment. Like you feel it, you feel everything has shifted. And like, I got goosebumps and the hair on the back of my neck in that moment, because especially when the water nymph is like, there's so much of your father in you. Because mm. here before and we've been thinking about he is, he's Sally Jackson's son. Now he's Poseidon's son. And also on that note too, uh, not just her saying there's so much of Poseidon uh, in you. She says, we all see it. And like a little mm -hmm. line like that, I'm like, oh man, like, like shout out Lin-Manuel Miranda, Percy Jackson, history has its eyes on you. Cause that's what's happening in this moment. Everyone around is like, oh my God, this kid, just like Lynn says, that's another great line uh, where he talks about the struggle of being powerless and having to not get involved because that only makes things worse. And he says, but sometimes that's what parenting is. That's what it feels like for Poseidon's entire clan, essentially, uh, of children, of people by his side, his entire just kind of family, unit, lineage, whatever you want to call it. They're all watching Percy, knowing that they can't get involved. But when he does stuff that like brings him into his own as a hero, that sense of pride is so much more heightened because they know he's doing it on his own. And if that's not a hero origin story, I don't know what is. Yeah. It's so exciting. I just, I love it. Like you, you could just imagine he's got his own like aquatic cheering section right now. Like, so like, woo, go Percy. And I'm down there with him. Woo, go Percy. We got, we got an octopus on the drums too. Shout out. Heck yeah. <laughs> One of those random moments. Well, anyways, Nicole, we, we have a lot of questions answered in this episode. We have a lot more mm -hmm. questions raised in this episode. Uh, and hopefully we get those answers in the coming weeks. But someone who was able to answer some of our questions is the director of photography on this episode and the season as a whole, Mr. Pierre Gill. And yes, I do ask him about what was going on with Nico and Bianca D'Angelo. Were they actually in the Lotus Casino? Pierre answers all on the other side. Pierre, it is so good to see you once again. And we have so much more to talk about now that we've seen three quarters of this season. How are you doing today, sir? Very good. Thank you for having me again. And I hope everybody's enjoying the, the, the series up to now. Yeah, based on social media reaction, fans are pretty ecstatic. And something people were talking about before this episode in particular was that the Lotus Casino, for as much as people like to rag on the 2010 movie, the Lotus Casino scene in the Lightning Thief movie from 2010 is one of the more critically acclaimed moments in that feature film. Uh, so going into this episode, did you take credit take like that into account whatsoever or did you just kind of go go in with a blank slate oh i seriously i went with a completely blank slate uh and i'm so sorry i don't even remember the casino scene in the movie because i was the movie a long time before uh starting to work on sorry starting to work on percy so and at that point we were so 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 busy and so deep in prep that there's no way i was 
having time to even go back and try to watch a movie or get inspiration from that. So it's all fresh. And you mentioned creating the casino. Something that makes it feel so lived in is all the different time periods we get to play with. Just like you, you freeze frame any moment of this episode and you see people from the 50s or the 80s in terms of the attire that they're wearing, uh, in terms of populating the Lotus Casino and deciding what time periods are going to factor in. And beyond that, the volume of each specific time period. Uh, what was that creative process like? Okay, so visually speaking, um, the discussion with like Dan Shah, the showrunner, was not to go very specific visually like it's, it's not suddenly we get in a room and we're in the 20s he wanted this to be mixed up so the 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 style of like a period piece is really the costumes and after that what i've done is i tried to create a journey into that casino that we created uh with colors so for example when they get inside the the casino it's more like there's pink and there's like orange tone tonality behind them and then they start going <clears throat> around they go to the blackjack table and then becomes gold and a bit like cyan <clears throat> and they go meet their mates it's it's all like uh, velvety uh, very golden and so it was a, it was a thing to to get the audience to travel inside a big space because of course that casino was uh we 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 created from scratch. So <clears throat> what we've done is we found a new, completely, we, so we found a new building that was completely empty and we brought carpets, table, lighting, and to be able to shoot, um, I've asked them to put like, a, to, there was windows everywhere, so it's very hard to shoot. So there was windows everywhere. So we we put like a material of colors, uh, opaque. So everything you see around actually are windows and they're blocked by these big uh, uh, color uh, opaque uh, stickers. So what I've done, I went through everything with a production designer and thought, okay, so this window is that, is this and this. Behind this, there's lighting outside. We, we tented the whole building. So we could shoot like for three, four days in a row without being there at night. Of course, it's always good to shoot daytime. And again, we have a young cast, so it's very important. So all these things are very part of the puzzle of how to create the show. It's, it's these decisions are very critical, actually. So it's more than creative a lot of times, because to, to be honest with you, we had a completely different, um, a building that we found to do this casino that was a bit more Vegas, uh, more American, like uh, cowboy. I don't know how to say that, but it became impossible to shoot in there. So we just turned ourselves around last minute uh, and we just tried to figure out something. And this is why it's part of the creation. That's why it doesn't look like either the other, the movies or or even from for what people would think it could look like uh, some of the ideas were very different but we got there because it was like the most clever thing to do to achieve and to keep something colorful and fun and nice the casino is quite nice i think that you know this building has i think my setup is was at least over 500 light fixtures uh, so my board up, Dan, Dan uh, Halt, is like a god. He was like making colors with me. I was like, okay, this section more, okay, more pink, but like more purple and more like this. Okay, now here it has to change this way. And uh, so it was a lot of work, but it was, it was. I think it turned out very nice. Yeah, I mean, the details are so crucial. Like the, the, the detail is what makes this show feel so lived in and feel so authentic. So it definitely was reflected on screen. And, you know, we're recording this before fans have had the chance to see it, but I already know how social media is going to respond to each and every little intricacy. And one of those intricacies that I know people are going to be looking out for, Pierre, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the books, but a couple characters get introduced in the third book, The Titans Cursed, Nico and Bianca D'Angelo. And their backstory is that they were held in the Lotus Casino for like 80 years they were they were stored there by hades and a lot of people were, were gonna want to freeze frame this episode and look out for some kids with 1930s era clothing uh i didn't notice them did i miss something no i don't think they're they're there 
Okay, well, maybe when we get to season three, we'll revisit the Lotus Casino. We'll actually see them uh, in full detail. But I did want to kind of go down that rabbit hole with you of the idea of Easter eggs. Um, Just, you know, we first get out of that truck that takes them to Vegas and we see the skyline and everything. Um, We get into the Lotus Casino. We see all the different attires. Uh, Eventually, we even get to the Lotus Casino garage and see the different cars from different time periods. Those Easter eggs, so to speak, are so tailored towards just different time periods, not necessarily anything from Percy Jackson lore. Uh, were there ever any any conversations about scattering stuff from the books in the background, or did you want to kind of keep it all vague and make it more more open to casual fans? To be honest with you, at that point, it's so much Rick and J- Dan Dan Shots and John that are making these decisions. Like to be honest with you, everything that was there is there from them they were like really you know um, putting in what they want to put or want to people to see so apart from these cars i don't think there was anything that i would know of that was like an easter egg but i think you should ask them maybe he has one that i don't know about hey also to be honest with you it's it's like and again it's it's something the reality is this is like i was shooting i was preparing the casino which is i mean really big okay in terms of lighting setup but at the same time i was shooting uh waterland of episode five and the waterland is in a sound stage is in a studio we built that amusement park in a studio i mean it's a huge setup so i was doing waterland I was doing, I was preparing also uh, the Tunnel of Love. I was preparing the casino and I was preparing uh, another one. I swear to God, I mean, it's like there's there's places where I just got on set and oh, great cars. I took many pictures of those amazing cars. It was like just amazing, but I don't have time to know, is there an Easter egg? Is there something? Because I'm busy, <laughs> like really busy. <laughs> so there's stuff it's it, it, it goes like this you know i just have to really get the shots and make sure we have the day and make sure we have the scene and make sure the the the, the setup is ready and as we shoot inside the casino um because the good news is that we had the parking garage and we shot the, the taxi scene in the same place so that helps a lot because sometimes we move to different places so i was preparing downstairs the 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 cat scene which was quite cool and quite complex because we had this amazing car that was rigged so basically it's a car driven by a stunt driver so imagine you have the taxi you have the cab and the cab is cut here in the front and this part so this is all the car percy is sitting annabeth is sitting grover is sitting in there but in front of it there's this cage and there's an extension to that taxi that's very low and there's a guy driving that thing for them and the car is loaded i mean loaded with rigs cameras there was three cameras one on each uh lights everywhere uh very cool setup uh super cool it's first time i saw a car rigged like that because usually when you have those those uh those cars that uh, you have a pilot we call it a stunt pilot because the actor sometimes cannot drive or it's a it's a fast scene so they cannot drive like this so you have a guy on top so they create a cage on top of the car with a wheel and the wheel is actually driving the car so usually this stunt driver is sitting on top of the car and you have the cameras shooting the actors inside going what and nobody knows but the guy's on top driving so on this one because the garage was very low we could not do that so they had to rig and, and and create a different type of car and they put a cage in front i gotta you gotta see pictures of this i'm sure there's gonna be some making up about that it was really 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 cool wow well whenever season four comes around uh there's a character by the name of daedalus and if you know the, the myth of daedalus and icarus daedalus is, is quite the craftsman he's quite the designer and pierre I, I think you're already method acting as daedalus in terms of what you're doing for percy jackson designing everything doing everything simultaneously uh i'm in awe just hearing all of that uh, you mentioned something i wanted to kind of go a, a bit deeper on uh the lighting of the lotus casino 
I was fascinated by the lighting during this particular dream sequence. We've seen a couple dreams in earlier episodes, but this one specifically, we bring back the headmaster from, from Percy's school. And just like he was lit in that first episode, you can barely make out his face. Uh, the creative mm -hmm. decision to, to keep him shrouded. Uh, could you kind of just walk me through that? Well, the, that comes <clears throat> really from John Steinberg. He was like, I don't want to see him. I was like, okay, I'll do my best. It's not easy because it's a small room. And these two, it's, it's always tricky not to get too, too, too dark. So I was like, you know, I won't make him like black. Of course, I'll make him like just in the shade. So on this one, we, we just went like darker on his face and try, try to keep it like as a, as a dream. Um, so yeah, I hope it works. <laughs> It definitely did because again it just furthered that mystery and you know it makes us more excited to see more dream sequences uh down the line uh, we kind of have talked about the the placement of objects in certain rooms and how a lot of that is kind of out of your control i did have one more question on that front when hermes is talking to annabeth uh and percy there's a bunch of greek artifacts behind him you know battle helmets statues stuff like that uh was there any specific thought process into which ones were selected there yes uh it's then another production designer who carefully pick them and choose them and put them right there as a um, um, as as objects <clears throat> that we wanted to see. And I also sometimes I was like, hey, let's move it in the shot. It's so gorgeous and beautiful. So we place them to to make sure we could see those. Uh, the final scene of this episode, though, is one that I need to pick your brain about how you shot it because. I just, I can't wrap my head around Percy underwater with all the seaweed and the water nymph comes out and the lighting on her and how it's still shadowy on Percy. Then she comes close and he gets lit up. I don't really have a question for you, Pierre. I just want you to walk me through how you were able to shoot this water nymph scene. Was it was it a mix of, of CGI and practical or did you actually submerge Walker underwater? So that was also a very... Um important demand from uh the showrunner producer dan shots and john also but dan definitely was like i want to shoot him underwater i don't want to do cg cg hair if you watch aquaman right now they all have cg hair so their hair is moving it's not real uh <clears throat> in front of them they put a layer of water so we shot walker underwater so that was a big deal because there's one one thing uh, and, and I shot him also for episode four. Uh, there's a sequence underwater, and um, he's stuck. You know, he's stuck in the in the in the algaes and the rock, and he meets a nereid, and he has to talk. So that was a big thing. So we built a, a tank because there was no pool available. I mean, it's crazy. Sometimes you, people cannot imagine. It's like we we're, we're like trying to find a pool to shoot in. And we cannot access any pool because people do classes and this and that. So we go on a stage and we build a 40 feet round tank by 12 feet high, at least 16 feet, maybe massive. So we built that. We put full of water. I built a super cool blue screen. It's the first time I did that because it's very hard to shoot underwater. So the lighting is difficult, the security is, is is there all the time. So, and I built this blue screen and I had a dream. I was like, I'm, every time I go underwater, it's so hard to light. I want to create a blue screen that is going to be like a big giant screen. It's going to be auto lit. So I built it and it worked. So we built this blue screen in a cage and I lit it from behind. So it was backlit. So there was no light inside to light the blue screen because there's a blue screen behind him. Uh, <clears throat> the lighting on him comes from outside, from above. So some kind of sun rays. It's also inside the pool. So what happened inside the pool is that I had these, these, uh, these gaffers with lights. Uh, with of course in gears with like uh, uh, hair and everything and <clears throat> when the near it comes closer i was dimming up some lights on him so there's a light effect on him for that now the amazing thing was walker because walker is quite an amazing guy he's a great guy he's he's nice he's fun he's clever i cannot say more than that he's amazing and then he has so many lines and then he can learn the stunts and he can learn the uh, his lines and he knows the camera and technically he's very good which is a big big deal because he knows 
that hey can you come closer because or you're too close for the focus oh, okay here yes thank you but these are very very important things for an actor to to know so on this one walker well on top of it he learned how to do his lines with no bubbles so for for episode four in this one he has to talk and the the idea was to have no bubbles coming out so he's so good that he was able to breathe. So you're underwater, you have all those divers, they hold air on him. Everybody makes signs. There's also speakers. You can hear the people talking. You can talk underwater. It's super cool. You have a microphone and you can talk and people can hear you because these speakers are transforming the sound wave to in the water for you to hear. <clears throat> I don't know how it works, but it's great. So you got these divers holding in, giving air, and then they'll be like, everybody's ready. Okay, two, one, go. Take the hair. And then gets his bubble out. And then blah, 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 blah. And he's talking. I mean, seriously. I mean, there's maybe a few VFX touch up. There was one one or two bubble coming up. But most of it is like, is like completely uh, him not, not breathing, not making air, and staying there for almost a minute and a half because he could stay underwater so long. So, I mean, that was unbelievable. And that was the last day of shooting. We finished the shoot uh, after 150 days of shooting. That was our last day, so, yeah. I was gonna say, cause I remember the the announcement on social media with Walker underwater and he, he held up the sign. That's a wrap on season one. That was that scene. Exactly. Wow. Oh my God, everything's coming full circle now. I like, I, I'm getting a clearer picture in my head. Uh, Pierre, th those are all the questions I have on episode six. One more one before you go. Spoiler free, of course. You directed some pretty immaculate shots throughout this season. What is one remaining that we haven't seen? So from episode seven or eight that you're most excited for fans to see? I mean, the, to be honest with you, one of the things I'm very, very happy and very proud, and it looks really good, it's Aries' fight. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Pierre Gill, for joining us on Riptide Radio. He did such a phenomenal job in hearing how much attention to detail he put in each little intricacy of the Lotus Casino and as of the show as a whole. And hearing just his admiration for Walker on set is something so beautiful. So shout out, Pierre. Thank you for all that you've done. Uh, for this world and we hope to see him back in a hopeful season two and season three down the line uh, but until then we're heading to the underworld next week hopefully again i say this every single week guys i know if all things go well we will have at least one pretty big guest next week and that's all i can say for now until then nicole where can people find you as always, you can find me at Life in Polaroid on the site formerly known as Twitter and everywhere else is um, the Nicole Drum. That's that's where you'll find me lurking. And anything fun you're working on at comicbook.com? Um, actually, yeah. I am getting ready to be doing some writing about the importance of deaf representation and the use of ASL in superhero media. Near and dear as somebody with hearing impairment. So, yeah. Echo? People, you enjoy Echo? <gasps> I loved Echo. Echo was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And I think we need more of that, honestly. I am, I am very much tunnel visioned on Percy right now. But as soon as Percy Jackson ends, I have a lot to catch up on. And Echo you, you is got... very much on that list. Uh, Go watch Echo and then come back and talk to me. <laughs> we, we, will, we will do just that. Uh, you can find me on all socials at Liam T. Crowley, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Most prominently, like I said, on Instagram, uh, a lot of clips from this show, a lot of interview clips uh, live on my Instagram as well as at Comic Book on Instagram and at Comic Book Nation on Twitter. But yeah, that's all I, we got for this week. Next week, we're heading to the underworld. Fingers crossed. Everything goes well in terms of getting a big guest. Uh, but before you guys do get out of here, please, please, please hit that like button. Drop a comment. Tell us what you like. Tell us how much you disagree with me uh, for liking the movie version of the Lotus <laughs> Casino. I want to hear all of it. I want to start a discourse. Him. I want to start a very healthy discourse. Uh, in the comments. I think that'd be very fun. Um, but yeah, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. And we will see you ne next week when we head to the underworld.